Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Thank you, Pastor Mel. Why don't we give Pastor Mel and Pastor Paul a hand this morning? You know, they are so faithful in what they do, and I just want to honour them for that. Leading a church is not an enviable task at all, so um, just want to honour them this morning. But how good is it to be in church on a more, it's the Sunday morning, so different to a Friday night when I usually do my speaking, but you know, we'll, we'll see if I can stay awake. No, it's all right. And you need, I tell you what, on a Friday evening, when it hits about 8.30, you need the strength of God to keep going. Man, all I want to do is be in bed sometimes, but I'm here. No, it's, it's great. I love it. It would never be anywhere else. But this morning, we're going to be continuing our series on offense. And to begin, I need you to make a quick choice. You need to decide between your left or your right neighbor and turn to one of them and say, tell them how good they're looking this morning. And it was an important choice because now I want you to look to your other neighbor, the other side, and tell them how much better they are looking. And now back to the first one and just say, no offense, no offense. Because we are looking at offense this September. And Pastor Mel has kicked us off brilliantly with two messages so far. In the first week, she told us about how we can um, let God into our offense so that we can forgive and overcome it. And then last week, she gave us some tips and tricks on how to deal with being offended at God. And as, as she has mentioned... Offense is such a big part of our culture today. You know, I, when I look at it, when I look out around at our society, I see a society that is so easy to take, so quick and easily offended. So this morning, I want to encourage us to stand firm to the truth of what we believe, to stand firm in the truth of Jesus and that he is the son of God. And in my mind, that is the most important thing we need to grasp in our life. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at that. And I believe and I know that there are people who are offended at Jesus. And they are offended that we believe in him, that we gather here, that we say and believe the things that we do. But I want us to be able to examine our own hearts to understand how we can become offended at Jesus, but also understand the hearts of other people so we can better share him with them. Because I know he can change lives. Offense or no offense, he can change lives. You know, as just a thought, I was thinking about as preparing for my message this morning, I was trying to work out what we can do with offense. And I, I boiled it down to two different interactions that we can have with the concept, with the idea of offense. And we can either cause offense or we can take offense. It's not something that just appears. It's a reaction. And so... As Christians or as people even, I believe we want to try and not do either. We don't want to take offense when people say something that upsets us, but we also don't want to cause offense through our words and our actions. And I believe that Jesus models this for us. He didn't take offense when so often he could have, when people denied him, when people were going to betray him, when he knew what was in people's hearts, he didn't become offended. But he also tried not to cause offense. He spoke the truth in love. He was kind. 
and he was compassionate. But the problem is, people were and are still offended at, at Jesus. And we, when there are some people who are also offended at us for our faith in him. When it comes to Jesus, people regularly take offense at who he claimed to be. They were offended not because what he said was rude, but because of who he said he was. The truth of who he was is, and will forever be, is at odds with what the world expects. So turn with me to John chapter 7. We're going to unpack it a bit this morning, and we're going to see what lessons we can take away from this passage. So join me in verse 1. It says, After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were offended. It's a little clue. They were offended and they were looking for a way to kill him. But when the, fest, when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are not doing these things, show yourself, since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. Now, this is so interesting. Even Jesus had to wait for God's timing. Who's ever had to wait for God this morning? But as we keep reading, for you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. And after he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. Now it gets a bit confusing because now in verse 10 we read, However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also. Jesus, you just said you weren't going. But anyway, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were there, there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered them, my teaching is not my own. It, con- it comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. We're going to unpack this this morning and see what we can take away and apply to our series of offense. But why don't you join me as we pray? Lord God, I thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord God, I thank you that no matter how offended people get at Jesus, no matter how offended people get at us, Lord, that you are the truth. And Lord, I pray that this morning we'll see that the, the truth will remain true. Lord God, I pray that we'll be encouraged to share the good news and that we'll be able to examine our own hearts as we learn about you. And Lord God, I just pray as well in thanks that the Wallabies won yesterday. Lord God, I pray that you'll have your hand of blessing over them and that they will come home with the cup. Lord God, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. So it may come as no surprise then that I'm a bit of a sports fan. Uh, and 
for those who know me, I am slightly competitive. Maybe more than slightly, but we'll just leave it at slightly for now. But the other thing you need to know, which may not be as obvious, but when it comes to sport, I 100% believe that I'm always right. When I am playing sport, I am right. When something happens to me, I am right about what happened to me. So do we have any referees in the room? Because I need to begin my message this morning with a bit of a disclaimer. For this story to work, I need to disclaim. Me and referees haven't always had the best relationship. And so I apologize in advance for that. Uh, I'm sorry for some of the things I've said to your people. But we'll, we'll be okay. See, growing up as a teenager and dare I say, sometimes a little bit now, um, I, would get, I get offended at referees because their decision of what they thought was true didn't align with my decision of what I thought was true. I would be offended because they would miss a foul. I'd be offended because they said I committed a foul when I didn't commit a foul. And let me be clear, I was not being all up in their grill most of the time, but I would just ask an honest question. I would say, how could you miss that? It was a clear foul. Or I'd turn to them, I'd say, Ref, you're not going to call that. I barely touched him. How are you, what are you doing? I didn't foul him at all. I just asking questions. They're honest questions. But whilst knowing the ultimate truth of those situations, we will never know. You'll just have to accept my word that I'm right and the referee was wrong. When it comes to Jesus, there is an ultimate truth that we can know. And when it comes to dealing with the truth, sometimes we get offended because our version of what we think is true is not what is true. See, I get offended at referees because what I believe happened is not what they believe happened, and that means because they have the whistle, they're right. Whoops. Um, And so I get offended at them. Well, the same things happen when we're dealing with Jesus. See, dealing with the truth can often lead people to being offended. And as we unpack our passage this morning, I want us to be encouraged to continue to share the truth about Jesus to the world without worrying about causing offense. I want us to be reminded that we can find the truth in Jesus and be aware of the things that allow us and others to become offended at him. When it comes to offense, one of the biggest things people get offended at is Jesus claiming to be God. The truth that he is the Son of God. And my first point today is that the truth of Jesus can cause offense, but it is still the truth. In the beginning of this passage, we see that there are people who are clearly offended at Jesus. It says that the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. But when we apply this verse, when we look at this verse in its historical context, we see that the problem is bigger still. In chapter 6, Jesus has just gone and healed a man, and now he is preaching a word to the Jews who are gathered with him, and he claims to be the bread of life. In in chapter 6, verse 35, we read that Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And as we read on, as Jesus concludes his passage, as he concludes his preach, 
we realize that the Jewish people who were listening were offended at what he was saying. And the result is that they turn away from him. They stop following him. But when we look at these words, we work out why. Because when Jesus says, I am, he is directly quoting Exodus 3.14 when the Lord says to Moses, I am that I am. This is the first time God is introducing himself to Moses. And he, Moses asked, who should I say sent me? And Jesus said, uh, God said, I am. And right now in, in uh, John chapter 6, Jesus is using the same phrase to talk about himself. And in response, his followers who were so accepting of everything he had done up until this point, they were accepting of the miracles, of the teaching, of the lessons that he was providing up until this point. They get confronted with the truth and they stop following him. See, this is what's motivating the Jewish leaders to kill him in chapter 7. They're seeking a way to punish Jesus for his blasphemy, a crime for which he should be stoned. The people, having accepted his message so far, were offended at his truth. But I believe this, this claim of Jesus is not just stopping people, or it's not just causing offense back when he was around, but it still continues to cause offense today. People are willing to accept so many things about who Jesus is. They're willing to accept that he is a good teacher, a philosopher, a leader, a good man, but they're not willing to accept that he is the son of God, that he is God, because that's an exclusive claim. It's not inclusive. It doesn't account for other people's beliefs. See, people take offense that Jesus is claiming to be the one true God. And they took offense then, and they take offense now. But the case for Jesus being the son of God remains the core truth of who he is. He can't just be a good person. He can't just be a prophet. He has to be God because he claimed to be God. And if those other things are to be true, everything he says has to be true. So if he's not God and he's saying those things, he's not a good person. But people have an expectation of who God is. And when he doesn't fit within their understanding of what they believe then they take offense and they can become offended. And this makes sense because as people, when the truth doesn't fit our expectations, we get offended. We get offended at its mere suggestion of the truth. Let me explain. When I get offended at a referee, my offense rises because of the suggestion that what I believe is true is not the truth. The same happens with Jesus. People become offended because Jesus claims to be God, but their expectation is that he's only a good person or that the Messiah couldn't come from Bethlehem. We see in chapter 6 that when confronted with the truth, the Jews become offended at the suggestion that Jesus was the bread of life. And today we see people get offended at the truth that there is one God and that God is Jesus. But the truth is the truth and we're going to have to accept it, and we're going to have to help others believe, because I truly believe that it is what sets us free. The truth will set us free. As we read this passage, in my mind, there's another group who we as the church need to be 
especially aware of when it comes to offense. We read in in verse 3, it says, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Jesus' brothers are starting to get offended because Jesus is no longer meeting their expectations either. They've got used to a certain way of life. He walks around, does some miracles, people follow. He walks around, teaches a lesson, people follow. And right now he's walked around, he's done a miracle, people have followed, but then he's taught a lesson and people have stopped following him. They're a bit concerned. His Instagram followers have dropped. The people aren't around. He, they think that they're in for a big show. They think they're there for the flashy lights, the cool music, the healing, the words of wisdom. But the truth is, they're there for Jesus. They're there for the Son of God. And it says in verse 5, not for even his brothers do not believe in him. See, they're starting to get offended that he's not fulfilling their expectations, so they urge him to come along to the festival. But we see they, they, want, they want him to walk in like a king, to gather more followers. There's going to be up to a million people here. This is our chance. We're going to replenish our stock. We can build up the army that's going to overthrow the Roman Empire. That is what you're here to do, Jesus. Come on get going. But we see Jesus' reply. He says, therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. And after he said this, he stayed in Galilee. I wonder if sometimes, like Jesus' brothers, we can get caught up in the flashy lights caught up in the music, caught up in the miracles, and that's why we come on a Sunday morning. And whilst all these things are great, whilst it's great to have the preacher come and call you out and have a word for you, if we remove Jesus from the situation, all of these things disappear. If Jesus isn't the Son of God, then everything we do on a Sunday morning becomes pointless. We need to be reminded that we are here for a person, not for the event. Because if we're here for the event, we're going to become offended. Jesus knew that he could have rocked up to that festival in his Ferrari, vlogging the whole thing, getting his followers up. A huge army of people could have been following him. But we see that he is following God. He is listening for God to provide him the guidance that he needs. He is focused on his Father. And in the same way, we should be focused on him so that we can build our own faith. When we follow Jesus, when we are committed to his will, when we wait for his word and his timing, good things will happen. Now, aside from sports, another thing I love is watching or reading a good crime fiction story. And I like the old school ones, like the Agatha Christie's, the the Arthur Conan Doyle's, Poirot, Sherlock Holmes... And when it comes to these stories, the audience is left in the dark. You can try and pick up what's going on, but I've I've tried, and I think I'm pretty good at picking the killer. I'm never right. 
I always think I am, but I'm never right. Has anybody seen uh, Murder on a Train? Yes, it's a great movie, highly recommend. And I'm going to spoil it, so if you haven't seen it, my bad. I'm not really apologetic. Um, but this is, a, this is an Agatha Christie book that's being turned into a movie, and Praro is on this train with these high-class people, uh, in the first class, of course, and somebody dies, and you spend the whole time trying to figure out who it is. And then we get to the end, and you think it's this person, you think it's that person, but he reveals the truth. It was all of them. They all did it. I know, sorry, spoilers. But the great thing about a crime fiction story is that the truth isn't just revealed. The detective helps show you how they got there. You're taken on the journey and you go, oh, how did I miss that? Of course it was them. Of course it was him. Of course they couldn't all do it. Or they could all do it. My second point is that the truth shines through. Because in much the same way as detective stories, we read here that the truth about Jesus shines through. We pick up the story in verse 14, and it says, Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having been taught? In this passage, we don't see exactly what Jesus said. All we know is the reaction that people had to it. We see that the Jewish people were amazed at what he had to say. In the ESV version, it says that they marveled at his teaching. And if we look at their question, they aren't actually asking who taught him. It's not that they're confused about where he went to Bible college. They know that he didn't. They know that he has not been formally taught because in Jewish culture, if you were taught you would have studied under a rabbi. You would have been a disciple to a rabbi and it was customary to honour them by repeating some of their sayings, to repeat their quotes, their famous one-liners, to have a similar line of reasoning so the Jewish people would be able to recognise who they were trained under. But Jesus is different. They can't tell what he's saying. They haven't heard this message before. See, you'd know that I come to this church because I might say something like, church is a place to be enjoyed and not endured. And you know, I've heard Pastor Mel speak before. Or when I ask you to turn to your friends on your left and your right, maybe I've heard a Stephen Furtick message because that's how he likes to start. But Jesus, there was no common thread. But we see in his reply, the truth. In verse 16, we see Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God. See, he's just said that my teaching comes from the one who sent me, and then he says that my teaching comes from God. So God is the one who sent him. Or whether I speak on my own, whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Jesus reveals that his rabbi is God himself. That's why the Jews couldn't believe and couldn't recognize any of his references. And not only did they not recognize him, by their reaction, we know that what he had to say was different to what everyone else was saying. See, they were amazed 
and they marveled at what he had to say. It was fresh. It was new. It wasn't what all the other Jewish leaders were telling them. What interests me about this passage is that we have two different groups in this crowd. As I mentioned before, the city of Jerusalem would have about up to a million people at this time for this festival. But during the normal year, there were only 80,000 people in Jerusalem. And it is, is in Jerusalem that the Jewish leaders were plotting to kill Jesus. It was only in the city that people were starting to rise up against who Jesus was. And so when all these new people come, not all of them are in on, the, in on the act. They're not all in on the plot. But in verse 12 we read, Among the crowds there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the public. See, whilst not everyone was in on it, they would have heard some of the rumblings. They would have heard that there's a bit of controversy around who Jesus is. And yet, as they sit and listen to who he was, with the context, with the background of hearing the rumours about who Jesus was, they are still amazed at the truth that he has to tell them. The truth of what Jesus had to say shone through and they marvelled. We should read this and be encouraged that no matter how offended people may be at our life, the truth of Jesus will shine through. People may not always agree with us. They will take offense with what we believe and may even get offended with what we do. But Jesus tells us in verse 18, whoever, seek, whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. As we go forth and we seek the will of God in our everyday life, there'll be nothing false about us. People will see it, they will see the truth in how we live, and they will be amazed. They will marvel. As we seek the will of God and pursue his kingdom, we will stand out and people will be amazed at our life. They'll be drawn in and they'll be closer to accepting the truth of who he is. And I want to encourage us that our witness of Jesus doesn't need to be literally going up to people and telling them about him all the time. I know I can't do that. I'm a bit too embarrassed sometimes. But our witness can be in how we act. You can tell when people are following God with their heart. And let me tell you, as people notice, they'll be amazed and they'll come to know the truth. So I hope that what we've looked at so far encourages us to pursue the will of God and help his truth be revealed to those around us. But as I end our mes- my message this morning, I want to highlight an irony in this passage. Because my third point is that Jesus is what we are looking for. This story happens during the Festival of Tabernacles, or sometimes it's called the Festival of Booths. And this would occur following the harvest and people would all come to Jerusalem. They would gather and they would celebrate together. But there was something interesting about this one. Has anybody here ever camped out in their backyard? Maybe as a kid, they put up a tent, brought in the, the, the pillows, the dunas, and you've had a camping trip out in the backyard. Well, that's what this festival was all about. See, the people would gather and they would be acknowledging the provision that God had provided to the people of Israel back when Moses was leading them through the wilderness. 
So they would gather, and for seven days, they would camp out in their backyard. They would set up tents of leaves, of ferns, and they would sleep outside on their roof, on their courtyard. And they would do this for seven days to acknowledge the time that their fathers, their forefathers spent in the wilderness. And they'd be acknowledging God's provision throughout that time. In contrast to this, when we set this whole story on this background, we see an irony that in celebrating God's provision, they are rejecting and becoming offended at God's ultimate provision. See, as the Pharisees, we read at the end of this passage in verse 45 that the, the, the chief priests and the Pharisees were upset that they hadn't captured Jesus during this festival. But the irony of them thanking God for his provision and rejecting the ultimate provision that he provides, they're rejecting the bread of life and they are unwilling to believe in him because he is offended they are offended that he is claiming to be who he is. But it only gets deeper. Jerusalem, just outside Jerusalem, there is a well called Shiloh. It's a natural spring, and it was the original water source for the city of Jerusalem. And as part of the festival, to acknowledge the spiritual significance of this well of water, there would be a priest would go out to Shiloh, they would take a golden flask and they would bring back water to the temple. And this, uh, this well is referenced in Isaiah 12 verse 3 when it says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So this is the well of salvation. And as they would return with the golden flask, the biggest of celebrations would occur. This would happen every day. They would walk up the steps of the temple and there would be trumpets sounding. There would be praises ringing out. They would bring glory to the God, to God, for His provision and His wells of living water. And at the end of the festival, we read in chapter, in verse thirty-seven, Jesus stands up and He says, "Let anyone who is thirsty come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow through them." He's claiming to be exactly the thing that they are celebrating. Exactly that thing that they are looking for, that they are thankful for. And he preaches that he is the ultimate source of life. In much the same way that our society is looking for exactly what Jesus provides. He preached a message of love of all people, of acceptance, of inclusion. All, all the things that our society desires so much. But he also provides so much more. He provides spiritual fulfillment, a purpose, hope, truth, and life. See, we need to remain focused on these things when we share the word. Jesus is what we are looking for. He is what the world is looking for. And he embodies everything that our world celebrates, just like he did back then. Jesus is still so relevant today. So let's pursue him, let's model him, and let's lead people to him and his truth. See, the world needs Jesus, no matter how offended they are. So we need to share the truth of him with the world. It is the most important message, and it will shine through the truth that he is the Son of God. Thanks for listening. 
To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au. We hope to see you in church again this weekend.